Juliana Lembeck is a 2020 Writer's Digest Award winner for her memoir, Blue Water, A Year in the Ocean. Through her novel, she hopes to help young women heal and deal with taboo experiences and trauma. I quote, Removing stigma and shame allows for room for understanding and acceptance of challenging events. This sets the stage for true healing and forgiveness to occur. End quote. Some themes we discussed are split identities, relationships, love, cheating, social drinking, substance abuse, suicide, getting into trouble with the law, and overcoming trauma. Thank you for tuning in. I'm glad you said that because that went into the um, the artwork because a lot of this, there is so, like substance abuse is like so tied in throughout it and it's like this circular it's like you're going out you're having like the same issues like again and again or I was and it kind of happens across the board when people that you know basically try to do any sort of coping mechanism that isn't productive um and so that's why even like there's a silhouette and then like I'm it's like a um like a duplicate of it too it's like you can see a smaller silhouette it's just it's like repetitive um yeah I really like it for everyone just tuning in and you're not able to see the artwork it, it's really beautiful it's i mean the title of the memoir is blue water a year in the ocean um but off the bat i said it gives me that kind of twilight feel but I mean, it's it's really really nice what is this 2020 writers digest award winner so when i was still pursuing the traditional publishing route because uh, i finished this in 2018 actually finished writing it. So I had had the idea for it in 2014 and then wrote the, the longest piece I'd ever written because I'd been writing forever just for my own like personal endeavors um, and personal like creativity and exploration and whatnot. But when I got the idea, um, I wrote like, I don't know, 25 or 50 pages in, back in 2014 and I had a friend from high school super grateful for him he we would like meet every few weeks and I was only doing like five pages like five new pages but I would share it with him and it was like enough to feel like whoa like this can actually like be something and do something with this and I think I didn't start taking it seriously again until a few years later like I'd kind of been working on different pieces and kind of like capturing different like notes here and there uh, but I was working too and I, I work in marketing so I was still full-time in corporate at that time so it's just it's really demanding it's like it's a lot of creativity um, I'm sure you know you work in media it's like yeah. creatively draining so you only have so much brain power and then by the end of the day it's like god do I really want to go write five ten pages right or? and even that like you need this is like another heavy creative um like the part, whatever part of your brain you're using, it's, it's definitely like you only have so much each day of that little tank or whatnot. Mm -hmm. So, um, once I decided in 2017, I had left corporate and started, uh, consulting with clients independently to give me like more control over my schedule because I just knew like I needed to make room for this, like no matter what. Um, so once I, so I quit in 2018 or 2017 and then took that year and a half to finally like finish the book, like wrote it down, edited it, edited it again myself still. This was still like all just me. And um, then I took it to a few writing conferences and that was like a huge step in and of itself because it's one thing to be like toiling with something over like a Word document, just you and you 
it's like a completely different thing to be taking it to writing conferences and now pitching it to agents in front of them. What what was that like? The first experiences doing that? <laughs> oh. I'm sure it was super ne- nerve wracking, <laughs> but it was it was pretty intense. Um, and I so I did and I pitched it as literary fiction at first. Again, like I was really tied to this idea. Like I don't want like. Like, even when I had told people at my last job when I was like, oh, like, I'm quitting to write a book and going to go independent with marketing and whatnot, like, they were like, oh, what are you writing about? And I just was not able to talk about anything yet. Like, it really was a journey in being able to own this as my story because of just the topics being so heavy and me kind of working through all of these issues my myself. Um, so, anyway, bringing it to agents, like, even as fiction, was still very terrifying because it's just a vulnerable uh yeah it's just like a very vulnerable craft like you know on that being fiction it was it like so heavy the topics that you didn't want to brand it almost like this is my story almost hiding behind the fiction like oh it's just I even pitched it sometimes like when I was sending out cold so you can pitch in person at conferences um conferences for anybody they ever wanted to be a writer they're helpful for educational purposes authors hardly ever get picked up at conferences like agents know that they're just kind of there as the the excitement behind the the conference and why you're going to pay six hundred dollars to go there so I would recommend like going to maybe one but you don't need to go to multiple to keep pitching agents because you're just as well off like pitching a cold quarry to them via email so I'd done my fair share of the conferences in person which was still helpful and that's um I didn't have this one on there but I'd won an award at one of those and that was actually helpful in validating to just like my writing skill from people that like didn't know me and somebody that was really in the industry. So that was helpful. Um, but again, they're not looking like they know that authors that are going to conferences are, are still very like new and probably haven't done like major revisions and haven't had their, their manuscript like actually vetted out and edited. Uh, and I hadn't at the time I'd only done it myself. I'd, I think I'd edited it twice at that time, but still it's only like my own pair of eyes, which can only get you so far. So anyway, back to your uh, answer your question on the the little 2020 Writer's Digest. So after pitching it at conferences, um, I figured out like that's not a great <laughs> spend of money and investment because I I can just again for free be sending these cold queries and targeting these agents and doing a little bit more research on like what their genres are that they represent, what are they looking for. And uh, in the meantime, I was submitting to different contests and just submitting the work, continuing to, um, and Writer's Digest is a, is a big one. So I'd submitted to a few different contests on that one, and I had gotten that one last year. So that felt like another kind of nod of validation of, like, this is headed in the right direction. And people besides my friends, like, think this is of quality. Um, so Absolutely. You should feel proud of that. That's, thank you. And it's always just a hook, too, whenever you, like, see a book. And it's got that little stamp on it. I mean, you earned it for one, but for two, it's like a good marketing tool. It sells itself. Yeah. But um, so so when, I know you said you started in 2014 and it was very small. You were just interacting with a friend with it, like slight editing and then getting to the corporate world. And then you really, you leave the corporate world to concentrate on this book. Where did that, like the value you saw in your story, like in wanting to like, not just write the book for yourself to maybe have this long form diary in a sense, right. but maybe like to help other people. What, what was that motivating factor? Like I'm going to do this. Like I'm literally quitting my job to go do this. Well, I think it's kind of twofold because 
I want to be really forthright with the fact that this was completely a selfish motive first. Like this was the first time I was taking on something that I chose for myself that I wanted to do. And it wasn't like proving some external accolade that was like set up for me that was on the conventional path to success, you know, like go to school, do really good in school, get jobs, get really good jobs, you know, interview well, get a good salary, negotiate high. Like all those things are kind of like on the conventional path to success. And if you generally do these things, you can continue to move forward. This was for me something that was challenging. Didn't know if I could quite do it. It was taking a skill set I already had, but I'd never done something to that like degree. Um, and also I really like this is the part where I'm still getting comfortable like being vulnerable and talking about this, but it was like I really needed to answer some questions for myself. And I had already been trying um, different modes or tactics of, of trying to like heal some of these wounds through therapy, um, starting to just, you know, channel some of my emotion into like more intense working out and running and, and that kind of thing. And it was all of these things were good, but it only took me so far So the idea kind of like came into my head of like, all right, I already have this tool that I've done since I was little of writing and having some sort of cathartic effect. So I wonder if I look at everything on the page of like, what in the world happened? How did I get so off track? Um, And then even to be pulled, like fighting tooth and nail to get back on track, but still emotionally inside feeling just as far back as like when everything kind of blew up. Um, so on that real quick for, for a timeline. So you were, you were feeling off track post college, like in the corporate world and it was not externally. So externally I felt like I presented well, I, Mm -hmm. I felt like I was always doing what I was supposed to. I was always doing well in school. I was, you know, I'd hardly, (laughs) except for the few years that I had gotten in trouble, um, with some of like the legal trouble and, and just, I mean, it's all in the book, but like in a school setting or in a work setting, I was very well behaved and a very like high performer. So uh, to the outside eye, I just looked like a type A achiever that was doing fine and was happy and whatever. But inside, um, it was like, you know, it's those things where you're going to bed and like, what are you thinking about at night? Like what's keeping you up at night? And where you feel emotionally that maybe not everyone can see and you can hide it pretty well and you can kind of like chameleon your way into everybody thinking you're good to go but inside you're like I still don't feel good and this sucks and like if I have to feel like this forever like really what is the point like it it just seems exhausting so the book was almost like a healing or coping a hundred percent and I and I don't mechanism was it like a level of accountability too? You knew you were going to be putting it out into the public eye to... I don't think I could think that far ahead into it. There And there's this interesting like gap between... I had known that like creativity and art can be an outlet for transmuting some of these like harder topics to discuss, articulate, um, or move through. And I had seen that from movies and books that I've read and you know just the way that you kind of feel transformed by the end of it and that you find yourself in the characters or in the you know in the movie and you do feel like you kind of go on like an emotional journey with them that hopefully you know depending on the movie or book leads to a a positive outcome so I knew it was possible um and yeah so I think I just wanted to like 
see if I could do it for myself and really wanted these answers again for myself and to basically be able to move forward because I feel like all this trouble that I kicked up from like age 17 to probably I mean 19 or 20 and I there was definitely more hiccups along the road but those three years or two years like was very concentrated in terms of like I was just getting in trouble like left and right and I feel like when that started happening it was such a shift in identity because again being this person that had like never been in trouble with a teacher never been scolded like just really never been in trouble with any sort of authority figure and now all of a sudden have this like almost second life of um I had gotten in trouble with you know the law and police and it had been like super violent and uh had all of this stuff on my record that I now had to kind of work through and just the two I like didn't know how to reconcile the two and I also felt that um it was like a not knowing how to reconcile either of them and feeling frozen and stuck and going into hiding essentially like kind of clamming up and just like disconnecting from the world because I just didn't want to be seen I like I didn't want to get in any more trouble I didn't want to be hurt any further I was in a tremendous amount of pain it it was just I felt like all of the relationships in my life were not helping uh, whether it was friends family or the intimate relationship that I had been in which basically centers as kind of um, the trajectory of like what the book is about it kind of follows mine and this guy's relationship uh, and kind of the whiplash of it. But it was so much more than just us. It was kind of like, that was how a lot of my life looked with people in my life. It was just chaotic. It was it was not positive. There was a ton of betrayal. It was kind of just the party lifestyle and every man for himself. And um, I feel like I just kind of froze and needed to pull back from all of that because it just obviously was getting me like further and further into like a hole that I couldn't seem to get myself out of. So. And this, just to give a timeline, was back when you were like 17, 18, 19? Yeah. All this like pain and trauma. and Yeah. Um, so you bring up the idea of kind of living this double life. And I know that's one of the themes in your book. Um, so when did you start recognizing like, wow, I'm, I'm this person at school and my parents or elders or teachers have always thought of me this way and I'm starting to develop habits that are making me experiment with drugs or alcohol and then just kind of repeating this this cycle to where now you're getting in trouble with the law and you're part of this unhealthy relationship and but you're still trying to like balance it out when did it kind of spiral out of control for you where you finally knew like holy shit well i think those the years of the 17 18 19 were those years that it was kind Mm -hmm. kind of um like just the rubber meets the road just kind of like felt like a split person and how old are you now real quick uh i just turned 29 29 okay so so this was i've had some time to reconcile 11 11, 12 years ago yeah can i do math (laughs) um so that was kind of that already felt like the the push and pull so it felt like that was the moment that i i cracked open and then the the years that followed were that kind of shut down and just withdraw and pull back and even like digitally, like, I mean, I, I got offline. It was, um, I just needed some time to figure out like, what the heck just happened? Why did that happen? Who am I? Who do I want to be? And how do I kind of excavate 
these like emotions that are still carrying forward with me, even though, again, on this external trajectory, I seem to be doing fine and performing well, but emotionally and inside, I am completely stuck and I feel the same way that I did at 17. So, so that was when you were deciding to really write the book is because you still felt, yeah, like I was sim- still in you pain. still felt the same way. Okay. And so I that, that's what I wanted to, to get at was like that. Okay. When you really were like, I'm going to write this book. Even though when you described it as selfish reasons, I don't, I don't see it necessarily as selfish. I think it... It's like survival. Well, <laughs> like, well, you're putting yourself first, which... I was. I guess is the definition of selfish in a certain regard, but it it was for like altruistic reasons, I think, just to, for your own health well, and happiness. Be, it's, yeah, like a better... Per, like it kind of is that, that concept of like putting your own... Mo- that, can't even speak oxygen mask on first Mm -hmm. because I feel like I was on such a grind and still did you know keep everything in the air in terms of like I um you know had like a full academic schedule in college and was still working too so it was it was just a lot like juggling all at once and it was you know a good distraction because I don't think you can just sit in your grief and your you know, whatever issues you're going through, like you do need to kind of have a balance, but I hadn't had any room to really sort through it. So when I quit in 2017, it was like kind of a declaration to self of like, I'm going to figure this shit out once and for all, because obviously I can perform on like, you know, like a monkey and just, yep. You want me to hit those like KPIs. You want me to hit that. Great, great, great. I feel nothing inside. I feel dead inside. Like this sucks. So no matter how much I'm doing out here, I still feel like this and I'm still kind of drinking on and off to cope with that. And that's not a life. Like, what point is that? Because if you feel like crap all the time inside and you're just completely burnt out and, you know, have all of this unresolved pain, that's not really living. Were there moments when you were writing the book, whether it was like you alone at your desk or in your room, coffee shop, wherever you would write, where you would bring up some of this like buried pain or like you would almost remind yourself of a traumatic sequence of events and then you're sitting there like holy shit it's almost like self-meditation and you're getting through it like it's on paper we're we're told to like make lists and write things down like you're writing down things that have troubled you and like were there any super heavy moments where like broke down or Yeah. And that's a good question because our subconscious is really interesting. I think when we put ourselves in like a finally safe and relaxing environment, whether that is through meditation or some other technique, you know, there's tons of tools to kind of get yourself in that headspace and you can get really technical about it and be like, oh, when you're in your theta brain waves or whatnot, all that means is brain waves. I've never heard that. (laughs) Well, you go from like basically like a kind of more like uppity state to like relax. Like there's like different levels of it and and don't put me on the, I have to do that. Otherwise I'll get migraines. Like if I'm too, if I'm I'm too up, I'm like, Hey, like relax. I come back down. down. Yeah. Yeah. I do that often. It's kind of like the state you're in, like before you're falling asleep. It's, it's like this, you know, you're, you're relaxed. You're not thinking about everything else that's like going on around you. And the way I was able to create that a lot when I was writing some people, I mean, everybody has different kind of like writing techniques or if they write in the morning or at night, I actually write with music and I'll sometimes listen to like the same song over and over again for like an hour or so yeah. as I'm writing. And it kind of created, cause I did work actually in, in coffee shops a lot was where I got a lot of the writing done and it would kind of allow me to go into almost like my own little world. And the subconscious is really interesting cause it will just kind of for, like it'll bring forth the memories that you need to work out. So 
and even when I had mentioned like the kind of cyclical cycles of like running into the same issues again, there's repetitive behavior that like keeps holding you back or you keep getting into like running into the same roadblocks. Like your subconscious will, when you're relaxed and being intentional about like, okay, like let's solve this, like you to you, like let's figure this out. And it'll kind of like bring forth those memories because they're so big and painful and they're on repeat, like in the back of your mind. So at least that was how I experienced it. And so it was like the memories that were the sharpest for me were the ones that made it in. And kind of like that was what I would lead with in terms of like my outline and how I kind of put it all together. And then the writing process would just be to flesh that out and then make it something somebody could read instead of just like a sharp, jagged thought in my mind that just kept on like repeating itself. What kind of music would you listen to? To repeat the same song for an hour. <laughs> Is it lyrical, like classical? No, rap, a lot of it would EDM. be. Um, I just heard something interesting that actually maybe put into practice what I was intuitively doing, but without really knowing I was doing this. But it was almost like experiencing some sort of release through specific lyrics. So music is a huge part of the book. Um, I... I do something in there where I, I basically like will name a song when it becomes like relevant. And I wish I could put all of the lyrics, but getting people's the rights to, or like the copyrights to people's lyrics is a huge and expensive process. So had to circumvent that. Um, but because it was like, so, and, and the color, like that's not on accident either. Like as I was writing this, like for the year and a half, like where I was really kind of sitting, like buckling down, it was like, I was seeing blues and greens everywhere. Like I was very like attracted to it. And whether that means something or not, like the spiritual people will tell you, those are your chakras and you're clearing (laughs) something. I don't know. But that was just kind of, um, it was like healing in a way. It was like using these colors to actually like heal, using this music to actually heal and kind of enhance whatever transmuting process was kind of going on with these memories in my brain. And there are like therapeutic uh, techniques too that people say that you can do. So I almost wonder if writing is another one that does that because there's like EMDR where it's like, you don't forget the memories. You just are almost like taking the emotional charge out of them. So you're neutralizing things so that if I were to talk to you about, you know, some of the X, Y, and Z events in the book, I'm not having like an actual body reaction to it anymore. Mm. It's, it's like you're, you're calming down your nervous system as you're remembering this and kind of like resolving it in a way. I know that kind of sounds hard to like articulate. So no, it makes sense. Um, just to apply it to my life and just like task oriented stuff, even with business, if you have clutter, like floating around in your head, you can sometimes just put it down on paper and then you almost feel like you just cleared up storage like space. You just moved it. So even though that could just be like a business task to correlate it to this, even if it was a traumatic event, just recognizing it, getting it down on paper, it's almost like you're getting it to that neutral state, like you said. Yeah. Um, so I, I, I no. think people can relate to whether it's been super traumatic for any of you listening out there, but just that feeling of getting it out of your head and on paper. 100%. And I used... Um, and once... I swear, once you start to really take something seriously yourself, I feel like this might sound trite, but it's like once you decide to help yourself, like helpers are sent. I, whenever like you decide like, okay, I'm going to fix this, like people will come into your life that will, they feel like little angels. Like I had met somebody at the first job that I was at in 2014 and um, she had 
she was a, an attorney there. She, she still is an attorney there. And she had just finished a book that she had traditionally published. And I was just all bright-eyed about it and so excited and giddy when talked to her about it. And um, she was really kind and, you know, shared her journey with me and just kind of the whole writing process and how it came to be and how she got published. And we, when I had left that job, I wasn't there super long. Um, we had formed a friendship outside of that and we kept meeting and now she's one of my best friends. And she is the person that kind of picked up where, uh, like she, she really held the vision for me of like, you're a born writer. Like you were born to do this. It's going to happen. You just need to stick with it. And she really like saw it kind of before I did um, and kind of like championed that through. And she at different points, like when it still felt messy and all over the place, you know, she'd buy me a book and was like, this is like your writing, like, you know, read this or whatnot. Uh, and she bought me another book called The Artist's Way Every Day. And in there, this uh, woman, Julia Cameron, that's the author, like this has been a widely used book for people of all sorts of, you know, artistic and creative endeavors to kind of like inspiration. And she does talk, the author talks about like, using these like creative forms as a form of like heal like these tools for healing yourself so I don't know how much science like goes to back that up but I can or whether the the belief was planted in my head that that would be what happened at the end of this like writing the book and having it be done but it was like that's exactly what happened by the wow. end of it and I, I mean that's what you were describing is I mean your intention in doing it was to self-heal and you didn't know exactly what was going to happen you could have very well wrote the whole book and at the very end like, oh, I'm worse now. Yeah. I know all this stuff. Or you didn't know. But um, so I, I imagine like the before and after was there some sort of like effect that you recognized on a certain day or a certain moment? Or was it just over time kind of healing little by little? Or I think it was over time. Mm -hmm. I wish there was like, I feel like most things in my life when they've gotten better have been like this one foot in front of the slow other. Steady, yeah, slow and steady, stuff, which yeah. is book two coming um because i yeah i i wish that i had had those kind of like overnight like aha you know epiphanies and and zingers and sometimes there's days that feel like that where you get like hit with something where some dots get connected but in terms of like these big changes um i feel like it has been just piece by piece and sticking with things and the perseverance of things which I mean, it's so funny because again, working in marketing, like you're, you know, you want, you want to say things are quick and easy and that's how you sell things. And that's just not the truth with like most things in life that no. are good and like hard to come by. Yeah. And especially like social issues with, um, I mean, a theme throughout your book is just a young woman in high school, like struggling with things that are so common amongst young females. And I hope that them reading your book they can kind of relate and see how you got through certain struggles which i want to start to get into um now it's just like those different traumas you don't have to say everything like that's through your book or like all the different chapters and whatnot but you mentioned that there was a relationship a man that was just this whirlwind of chaos and in hindsight you have all these different things and maybe some inspiration that would help a girl that is 17, 18, 19, going through what you went through. Um, but what what was that trauma bond like? Because that's something we've talked about is the idea of trauma bond and right. how it can maybe correlate back to like parents or unhealthy relationships or childhood trauma and then you kind of carry it with you and then you strap on with 
with someone as a young adult, yep. getting into a relationship, going through yep. the paces, living and learning. Yeah. Um, so, and just to kind of make a note too, because this is my story, but it also involves other people's stories. Um, that was definitely why I made the decision to change all the names. Um, because, yeah, there, there was definitely like, there was a lot of chaos with all the relationships. So there was me and the guy that I was dating. Um, and I just think, had I not been in a position of just such intense vulnerability with not a ton of um, support or parental vision at home, like supervision at home. And again, not to, like, I've come to a place where, like, I really do have love for all of the people that have kind of walked in and out of my life. And I do believe that when your eyes are open, like, everyone is teaching you a lesson, whether it's a good lesson or a hard lesson. Um, And not to blame my parents either because they are both beautiful people that have, Uh, come a long way from, you know, the lives that they grew up with. But there was definitely a shift in the home when I was around like 12. My my mom had moved out and we basically just had kind of a 180 of uh, what our our home environment was like. And it was very much, I have three brothers, Jonathan was on the podcast Mm -hmm. too. Um, And so we had this very like intact kind of white picket fence family life where we weren't even allowed to say shut up or watch PG-13 movies. And then um, what we didn't know as kids growing up, the four of us, which is a lot, four kids is a lot, uh, was there was a lot of strain just going on behind the scenes with my parents. And so when that kind of like push came to shove, my mom moved out. And so it was a little bit unusual because usually kids will stay with the mom, but she, I think was just kind of burnt out and, um, so my, we all stayed with my dad and things just shifted really slowly. And so as a kid being in school and I was 12, so you're really like in your young adolescence and like coming of age as a girl and just going through puberty and, you know, boys and school and whatnot. Um, I think you, you do pick up on some of those like nuances of like, things are definitely changing at home. Things are definitely different. Like you know, I'm still coming home on time and, and doing things the, the way I should, but like no one's even checking. Um, and so I kind of just tuned that out, uh, even though I think inside, like I can now look at that and be like, that was probably one of the most upsetting things that had, I'd ever been through, even though it sounds simple. I know a ton of families break up, but it was very painful and it was very painful to be <laughs> like a young girl like go like figuring out like who I am and like forming my identity while being surrounded by (laughs) all boys (laughs) and my mom's gone kind of thing and she had started to do um she started to use drugs and she I think they were still using drugs for a period of time while they were still living together and and with all of us but we didn't know about all of this until years later we were too young we were too young they didn't think it was best to tell us so long story short she starts using drugs. My dad used drugs for like two year period. And then he cleaned things up and like got it together. So, and there was like a bunch of financial stuff going on. This was like the 2008, like market crashed. And um, so there was just a lot going on. So I think like I was already starting to sense that. And then at 15, I now start drinking and adding that into the mix. And I'm thinking it's fun and social and I'm just hanging out with my friends all the time. And I'm never at home anyway. I'm just, you know, if I'm not like, 
studying and my homework's done and I'm not doing that during the week, then I'm with my friends. And so I think just it was like the perfect storm. So then when I met the guy that I did and started dating uh, at 17, it was I finally was getting all of this attention, like this very focused, like I felt seen, I felt heard, and I felt very like somebody was attuned with me. And what I didn't know and what I, you know, this is where like the parental wisdom needs to step in of being like, that's, hold on, like some of that isn't healthy. Like some of this is like possessive. Some of this is, you know, all that jealousy and like the checking in and like seeing where you are and wanting to know who you're talking to and wanting to go through your phone. Like none of that is healthy or uh, the equivalent of love, which is what I was kind of interpreting it as. And I was so hungry for love at that point anyway. I just, even when I realized that something was off there and that this was going to be messy, I think I just didn't care at that point because I was just not finding it anywhere else, kind of going deeper down the hole, um, you know, just surrounding myself with people that we didn't talk about anything. And I don't, I don't know if a ton of kids do in high school of like, do we know how to communicate about our emotions? Do we know how to tell each other? Like what's going on as a friend? Do we know how to support each other? Um, I think maybe not in the most proper way sometimes. I mean, advice amongst young high schoolers, it's, there's not going to be that much wisdom there. And I've thought about this before because you brought up the fact of not having like that parental support system to where sometimes whether you're being a rebel or not, you need to hear some sort of advice top down. Yeah, you need some (laughs) discipline. And I've had moments in hindsight where I'm like, shit, like why didn't my parents teach me more about like credit or savings or or relationship advice or whatever it may be. And there's always going to be a level of like rebellion with the youth and stuff, but just the importance of having that voice and then parents caught up whether it's in the whether it's using drugs or in the financial crisis or just being so caught up in their own lives sometimes you don't you don't have that ability to connect or you you kind of put on the back burner and you don't realize that this advice was really needed at this point and then you're living this life and you've got this dude and you don't really have that check-in system where you're kind of like I knew I knew um like all of your brothers and and what the household was kind of like. And it was fun. Like being a teenager, you can kind of run amok and do whatever you want. And that comes with consequences, even though it's fun. And especially your peers think it's pretty fun too at that it point. It looks cool still yeah. from the outside. Yeah, no, I, um, that's something else to know. Like no matter how much your parents are involved or not involved, and I'm sure there is no perfect way to do it. That was also another draw with the relationship. This guy's parents were the sweetest. They Their home was just like full, like it was safe, um, cozy. They were so welcoming to me. They like loved me. They were, you know, very attentive when I was over there. So I kind of, you know, it was this twofold thing of like, I was getting all of this, you know, quote unquote love from him. And then I felt like I kind of had this like family unit to kind of integrate into, even though it wasn't my own. So it was like a little bit of a cocoon. Um, so when you're quoting the love, so like there's good elements, which you just described, but in hindsight, he in was hindsight, like controlling not, or what, yeah, in hindsight, what were the negative things? Not healthy. Uh, I think what, and again, I say this all with like, I don't want to trash this person either because I still have and will always have like love for him in my heart. I do see the good in people. I really do. And honestly, like, and we all have our shit. Like, I'm yeah. not a perfect person. I no have not is. loved people perfectly either. I was not a great friend during that time either. 
Um, but just to focus on your pain, like how you, you truly felt. Yeah. You're able to understand it maybe a little bit more what was healthy and not. It was just, um, it was just very possessive and there's possessiveness and jealousy and a lot of what I can now recognize as his insecurity that he projected onto me. So it was a lot of distrust, um, thinking I was cheating on him, thinking I was talking to other guys. Uh, and then the phone thing too. Like I'd never had any, but I remember distinctly a girlfriend in middle school was kind of in a relationship like that. And I remember they like went through each other's phones and like deleted all the other numbers and they only had like three numbers. And I remember thinking to myself, like, that's crazy. Why would anybody stay in that? And now here, just a few years down the line, I'm like smack dab in the middle of a similar kind of dynamic. Um, and so I think what, what ended up happening, and I found this out even like a week into us seeing each other was he was talking to somebody else at the same time he was talking to me and I had broken it off quickly. This was like, again, week one. I mean, things happen in the, the trajectory feels like, you know, high school feels like it's elongated and like week one week, it feels like months sometimes. It does. The four years feels like 20 years. Completely. So, um, Anyway, so I had kind of got a taste of like what was kind of going to be our trajectory even in that first week. And I had stopped talking to him and stayed away for like a month or two. And then we just kept running into each other at parties and kind of like would he just broke me down with that. Like he just was like very persistent. Um, the proximities there you're seeing. Proximities yeah. there. And he was just very persistent. Like he just kept coming back around and was like, no, like we're going to you know, be together where you can't be mad at me, like all this stuff and me already wanting to give into it. It's not an excuse, but it, it made it easier because he was the one that was like initiating kind of thing. So the behaviors though, that would not be healthy. So we'd have these, I, I describe it again as like a whiplash. Like it was like, we were really good when we were good and we were really nasty when we were bad and it flipped flopped like probably every week every month like it was constant fights constant breakups and what would end up happening is I would find out about things that like he did cheat on me and you know he and he would lie about it and he would be like caught dead in it. or a girl would come up to me at a party and be like yeah so so like he said you guys weren't together but I figured you guys might have been so I'm, I'm telling you this and I'm like yeah we've been together like yes we were together when that happened but like thank you for the the update. Um, and it was just, yeah, it was, it was very juvenile kind of intense. And, but the problem is I kept going back mm -hmm. or I kept tolerating it. And that was something that I also learned, like, as the years went on, like, I really did see myself as a victim in the beginning. And I was like, I just don't understand this guy is treating me like crap. I'm do like, I'm bending over backwards. I'm like, I am so loving and caring towards him. I've never cheated on him. Like, why is he treating me like shit? And one of the, like, again, big wisdom, like you, I guess you learn this with life experience or enough pain comes and you'll, you'll take a look at it. And it's like, you can remove yourself from that situation. You can, like, what you tolerate, it, like, that will keep you being a victim unless you're, you finally, like, put your foot in the sand and just when your no finally means no and you finally yeah. just have to pull out so of it. So what makes you go back to that after you finding out he's cheating on you? I still or? loved him. I really wanted it to work out. I wanted to believe him. I wanted to believe that he loved me, that he was sorry, that he really just wanted to be with me. Um, and so from my end, I'm really wanting to just be, like, chosen, you know, and that's a thing that they say when, when people have gone through, like, 
trauma in the home and whatnot is they they end up again falling into these just chaotic patterns with with other relationships so and it feels familiar because it feels like home it feels like there's chaos going on or like things are one way and then they're not and then they like flip around and that feels normal to you even though it's painful but it still feels familiar in a way so are you kind of like fiend for the struggle and the grind sometimes of things not going smoothly yeah i've kind of felt like that too like not in my own relationships per se but just observing people like wait like why it's almost like you enjoy arguing or just having this friction like without it it's not a real relationship or you just you gravitate towards it when i think if you're with the right person you can actually like be very neutral and happy and calm and be happy for the vast majority of the time everyone goes through their struggles but just experiencing because my parents divorced young too and I never had that that vision of like solid, uh, like husband, wife, mother, father, and I would like go around and see friends and kind of envision like, wait, why isn't my home life perfect like theirs? Right. And I think sometimes that trickles down and stays with you as you get older. If you don't become um, aware of it. Exactly. Yeah. But cheating has always been interesting to me because I know, like, I value forgiveness. I really do. I've never, I, I've always had this philosophy with cheating to where it's like you have my like complete trust. I've never gone through like phones. I've never been like, oh my God, I'm going to be all nervous. It's like you literally have my complete trust. And if something were to happen and I were to find out about it, then it's so like literally it's not even a, it's just, oh, I, I could walk away. Like it, it happened, even though it was a mistake. And if some people want to make it work, that's just not me. I can't. It's literally, how do I, how do I put it? Um, it's almost like within a relationship doing a crime that puts you in jail for life. Like in my head, really good way to put it. So it's, it's like, I get it. You could be sorry or you could be intoxicated or something done, but, but it's done. And like in, in law, like you have to go to jail now for this crime in my head. It's kind of like, it's fine. Cause literally I could just walk away. Like being in a relationship where, like you have that insecurity and just you don't trust the person that's so toxic in my head. I just could never be a part of it because I think the only way it works is you have to give that person like your complete trust and yeah. love. And then if, if someone makes a mistake, then you walk away and on, on to the next. I mean, it's easier said than done. That's just my perspective, but cheating is, I'm not someone that could forgive it. I think that's a great, uh, standard to have and to stick to. I I don't know why I put up with so much like BS in that um, dynamic other than at the time I definitely there was a part that was like part fantasy of really just wanting to believe him and like wanting what he was saying to be true and then secondly, feeling like if I didn't have this, I had nothing. Like that was kind of what I felt like. Like I was like, I don't feel love anywhere else. So you were latching on to those good elements of like the highs that you yeah. have, the family life, like going over there, feeling that love. Right. And so I, and I didn't, it didn't even occur to me, like all that self-love stuff that people talk about. Like I didn't even know, like you could feel like that or you could feel calm by yourself. And to be honest, it took me years and years and years to be able to like actually enjoy my own company and to know what I like to even do by myself. Oh, wow. 
Um, I had just been surrounded by people for so long and whether it was in, again, a work or a job like kind of setting or with friends and big groups of people, um, I just didn't know how to like be alone. And I think a lot of that was just avoiding like the very beginning of like the pain. So I just kept adding like layers on top of it without really stopping to pause and start to unpack some of that stuff yeah just like more people but you're not analyzing like the quality of people or for a, a while yeah them. yeah for um, a while yeah it is it is wood it's probably got some edges <laughs> on it but um how did that transition or did it into like substance abuse or was it him in combination with like other girlfriends and um was it just your own choices and doing it like behind the scenes or so I never drank by myself I I wasn't savvy enough to get alcohol uh like ever have it like stored so if we were drinking we we're always in groups and we had somebody buy it for us or something uh and I was never a good drinker <laughs> it was I mean I had problems from the first time I ever took a drink and got drunk uh I was the one who would cry or be really aggressive and I mean, at best, my friends probably thought it was funny and at worst, you know, really annoying and inconvenient. <laughs> um, just to it's be so honest. Weird. Yeah, everyone's different with how it affects Oh, them. I'm terrible with it. And so, you know, I still, again, I, I don't have some, some great sobriety story. I, I still do, you know, engage with alcohol. I'm a lot more mindful of who I'm around, uh, how I feel with those people already. And then if I am going into a new environment, um, trying to have like a plan ahead of time of like, no, you're really going to only have like two drinks. Cause I've been in, you know, work settings where I've drank more than I was, and I'm just like, dude, like it happens. Juliana, get it together. Like yeah. stop. But, uh, and it's just, you know, you want to be with people. So it's fun and that's what everybody's doing. But I just think, so I, and I even, you know, through my journey of kind of unpacking this stuff and trying to heal and go to therapy, I tried AA, I'd walked into a few of those meetings. I was doing, I belong here. And I was like, not quite. This doesn't like feel like I resonate with some of their stories. Like some of my stories are pretty, you know, gnarly as well. But I, it was never like I had this like addiction to drink and to like hide it or anything. Mm-hmm. It was just when I drank, shit hit the fan always because always. I wasn't like 10 no, out of 10 times, 50, 50, like a Russian okay. roulette. So, and also and this was when you were in high school or is this even still continues yeah. <laughs> no I mean but I, we all have a little bit well I feel like sometimes. I've unpacked a lot of this mm-hmm. now so there isn't as much like boiling up under the surface and that kind of goes back to the like living a double life it was like I am so together during these like Monday through Friday that you won't see me like sweat but then it just everything I was feeling that I was well everything that I was like trapping inside was just coming up over the surface like oozing out when I would drink and just didn't have the filter so that would be the sadness and the like rage like real real anger uh and just not addressing any of those things or or trying to like starting to like again unpiece it in there or like take it apart in therapy but I only got so far with like each each modality until I, I basically like wrote it out um so when we were in high school, I mean, our friends definitely engaged in binge drinking. We all had similar homes. We all did, yeah. we, we had, like, single parent. Like, somebody's house was open at any given point, and we were always partying. It was, like, every Friday night, every Saturday night. That was just the – that's what you did. And it was better to be with them to, than to be alone at home and just with nothing to do. Uh, in hindsight, I wish I would have, you know, had 
somebody I had stumbled into that could have been like, just pick up a hobby or start writing now, (laughs) you know, like, you know, channel that energy somewhere else or start to deal with it because this is only going to get worse. And this is only going to lead you down like a really, really painful path that like, it's, you're just going to get deeper and deeper. So, uh, with the drinking, some of my friends had gotten in trouble. I, I definitely think once I started getting in trouble like with the law and having that kind of come into play that's when I was like whoa okay this this isn't I can't even play this off as like just shits and giggles anymore like this is really bad so So when you first started partying and like heavily drinking on the weekends how long did it take for you to get in trouble with the law two years two years what happened so in 2009 uh this really like when everything started to crumble and like that split identity kind of came into play so the summer going into my senior year uh the guy I've mentioned uh we were in some sort of breakup which I make a joke because I was like <laughs> I admit to one of my friends because I was like oh it was like the longest breakup we'd ever had and she's like how long and I was like four days <laughs> oh my <laughs> and god <laughs> and to me that really felt excruciating like it really did feel four like nights no sleep <laughs> I know it sounds dramatic, but like time really does stand still when you're like in that much pain. And so anyway, it was, we were broken up. um, And then I had got, I was, I convinced somebody to drop me off at my car from wherever we were like hanging out and drinking. And I was completely belligerent and I was just like on a tunnel visioned mission to just see him. And so I get in my car I don't even drive like 50 feet and I parked into, or I crashed into a parked car. So nobody was Whoa. in it. Thank yeah. goodness. But, um, but yeah, it was, it was pretty bad. And then I was 17 at the time. So technically being a minor, the, the procedures or the protocol is the cops come and they should release you to your parents or mm-hmm. just call them and they'll come pick you up. Um, but I mean, all hell broke loose when they came and I just, basically like I just went ballistic like I just started like violently like screaming and yelling and flailing around and just like you did not want to be arrested no and I was just in pain like I was just like I don't know just so they show up on the scene and there was no like talking or just fine or sad crying it was just like like, instantly like fuck you guys yeah yeah. it was like (laughs) It was like oh, no. dark juju came out <laughs> and it was like demons were released. Um, so what happened? They have to like tackle you? Or? <laughs> I mean, I really don't mean, if you're not laughing, you're crying because this was very intense and I do take it. Like I, you know, I feel bad for those police officers. Like that would have sucked to be on call that night. And uh, when they came, they tried to like read me my Miranda rights and I just was you know, cursing them left and right. And so they eventually like put me down on the concrete and was just like, all right, like we're not like messing around anymore and handcuffed me. And then I kind of sat like that for a while while they're just, you know, checking out the scene and dealing with cars and whatnot. And then my mom came to the scene first. I guess that was like whoever they called first, which of the two parents at that moment was the worst option because we had a really strained relationship so I was 17 so for the last like few years prior 
there was just a lot of anger that was like coming up with her. And like, again, we just didn't know how to communicate and things were just shoved under the rug with our family. It was just kind of like, we're just not going to talk about anything. Just like keep on acting like nothing's going on. And you know, my dad was just very emotionally unavailable, kind of checked out, like just wasn't there really. It was just kind of like he was just doing his work and trying to keep things afloat. And that was that. And my mom, I just had like all this rage of kind of like, fucking abandon us and like you left like I fucking hate you and so she shows up to the scene and I just lost it again like all yeah like all over again so then they were really concerned like the cops and they're just like oh great like she's gonna be a handful like all night so in the midst of all this flailing around and whatnot I had kicked two of them so I got like two different counts of battery on these police officers and they were pissed I mean they were like not nice and understandably so um and that's when they were like okay well now this is escalated and we have to take her in so they took me they first took me to a hospital to detox because they can't bring you in with like certain levels of intoxication and then they took me over to juvenile hall in like across from like the the block of orange oh wow and so when I go in there like I'm super disoriented it's probably like I don't know like three in the morning at this point, four in the morning. I have no idea. It was, I think it was like a Saturday or a Sunday night. So I wake up and kind of like come to in this little like holding tank and they let me have a phone call. I call my dad and I'm like practically like falling apart. You know, you're kind of sobering up a little bit and you're just yeah. like, what the fuck did I just do? And I call them and I was just like, I'm in juvie. And he was like, I know. Yeah, no. Oh, he did. And I, he, okay. I was like, how did you know? And he was like, I was there last night. And I was like, they told me you didn't come. And they did tell me he didn't. I think they were just trying to be like cruel because they probably had like had enough and were just like, fuck this chick. Um, but he had come, but they didn't let him see me because they didn't want the same thing to happen uh. that had happened with my mom. So anyway, um, I just kind of like fell apart on the phone for like 30 seconds. And I was like, okay, well, come like come and get me. And he was like, I'll try. And I kind of had it in my mind that I would be let go that day. It's just kind of like, they're not going to keep me here, you know. But that was not what happened. Um, they told me I had like a court date scheduled for that Tuesday. So it was like over the weekend. I was going to have to stay for a few days until the court date. And then when the court date rolled around, I again had very high hopes. And it, like, you want to talk about slow days when you're younger now put it in a setting of like I've never been in a setting like this I've never even been like punished for anything in school let alone at home and now being in like a juvenile hall with people that are you know just all over the place of kind of what their character and demeanors are and um Anyway, so I'd had it in my mind that I would get released that Tuesday. And then when that court date rolled around, they said no. And it was like, I mean, it happened so fast. And they denied the the request from whoever my public defender was at the time. And then I ended up staying a total of two weeks. But even then, wow. so when the second court date came around, I didn't know. I just like, there was just question marks on it of like, I didn't even know if I was going to let go. And as this was nearing the end of summer... I was a junior going into my senior year and I, so you, you know, you're already enrolled in all of your classes. So I had my AP English class that we're supposed to do like our summer reading. So I had my dad bring me my three books that I was like, I don't know if I'm even going to get out in time, but if I do, then I, I need to have like all of that handled. So it's just the contrast of like, what the fuck am I doing here? Like you're reading AP it, books in juvie. 
Right. Wow. Like, it was just, and um, so I was pretty shaken up after that. I got out two days before senior year started. And from that point, and the guy and I never got back together uh, after that. And we had like had one little more like conversation around it, you know, one other big black, like last blow up fight. Mm-hmm. And he'd always kept like going between me and this other gal. And then he ends up like just dating her afterwards. And it was just like, and we were both seniors and he had graduated. So he was gone and we were both still at Elmo. So it was just, Oh wow. Yeah. It was very interesting. What a dynamic. Yeah. But what, what was it like two weeks being in juvie for, a young girl from Orange County and didn't have the most perfect life, but you're making these choices heavily intoxicated. You wake up and you're stuck now in this place for. I'm more so. What was it like? Well, I mean, it's not like I was like had like a terrible experience. Um, the I ended up getting a roommate after like two days. And that was like a lifesaver, just having somebody to talk to and be with and not be like alone in that setting. Um, because that was the, the worst part was like the not knowing because, I mean, so I did skip a part here too. So this was kind of like a, a cascading effect of like the DUI came two weeks after a suicide attempt. So while I was like in the chaos of just what was going on, like I really was at my lowest already. Like I was depressed. I was anxious. I was not getting anywhere in any situation I just felt like alone and isolated and you know even my friends although well-meaning like we didn't really have the tools to talk about what was going on and or to like sort through it all we knew how to do was party so it was two weeks after that suicide attempt that then the DUI happened so it was just kind of like I was already in like a head fog and then just like having this like question mark of you don't even know when you're going to get out and the roommate that I was with, she'd been in there for months Dang. just for breaking probation, meaning like she'd already been in juvie, was on formal or informal probation, broke it by some, and they have like a lot of rules. So it's really hard to make sure like you're not breaking. That's like what they talk about, like keeping people in the system because she broke it. And so they threw her back in for months just for like some violation of probation. And um, so I think that was probably the worst part was just the not knowing. Like that was the part like I could barely handle and already like my mental health is like in such a fragile point. Like I, in there, I wanted to die like all over again. Like I was just like, I do not want to be here. I do not want to be alive. Did you feel like scared or tough to deal with I the situation and the people in there? I feel scared. Like luckily I didn't encounter a ton of like violence or any like outbreaks like that. Um, but I definitely felt like the not knowing was the hard part and then also just being treated like you're you're like in trouble like they treat like they call you like child like they're very like derogatory you have to walk with your hands behind your back and like take off your shoes before you go in your cell and like everything like your privacy is completely stripped away and just to again be somebody who like had never been in trouble like this isn't something I'm like used to trying on like I was just like me like and I think the most frustrating part was um I was just so like even though I had been still performing super well up until this point, nobody was there to acknowledge that. Like nobody was there to like make sure I was getting home at night or like staying on track or like paying attention really. And then all of a sudden now I felt like all this shame, but also fury on top of fury because it's like, oh, now people are going to see me and they're going to see I'm just being like a 
piece of shit. Like, you know. Um, so if this happened right before senior year. Mm-hmm. Did the word spread that you had gone inside like amongst girlfriends or did you show up? I don't know. Year and people knew or. And let me rewind there too. What I'm I, That was more of a sentiment directed at like my parents. Like I felt like I was going to get in big trouble and I just kind of felt like, oh, well now you see me and I'm getting in trouble. Not so much like my friends. I mean, my friends kind of just thought the whole thing was like funny and I'm like, <laughs> it wouldn't have been funny if you were in there. But um, well, like, I was also thinking they left you that night. At your car, like whether you were being belligerent or not. That's so I kind had of convinced one person to go and drop me off. And honestly, they didn't know what was about I'm to ensue. I'm super convinced. Like I, if I, I was on a mission, like I said, like I was tunnel vision. So it's like, I would have made it whether that person had dro- like dropped me off or not. And I don't think that person knew the level of intoxication that I was. Dang. So before we get to senior year, actually to go back to that suicide attempt. So what led up to it first off? And like I'm, I'm sure it was a compilation of things, but I think it was just feeling like I was drowning. Like I, I felt like I think when we're in like a high school setting and when you're younger and like your brain is still developing, like we just really have a small sense of the world. So we, at least for me, like it was very hard to see beyond like those moments, and it was just like. No matter what I tried to do or no matter like what I tried to distract myself with, I just felt so much pain. Like I, it was just like every single day. And it was like then those days just started to like follow each other, like just one day after the other. So it wasn't, you know, just having one bad day every week or something. It was like every single day I was like feeling heavy and just not able to shake that and I felt alone like I just I honestly felt like I am not able to connect with anybody I'm not able to like feel loved anywhere I feel like I can't like I don't I don't know and I I mean I try to articulate this in the in the process of writing because it is hard to talk about out loud because it's a feeling you know it, it's hard to articulate um so it was from your relationship to the lack of parental support to like even your siblings just I think it was all like th- it was like I wasn't finding it what I was looking for with my family I was not finding it with my friends and I was definitely not finding it with my relationship and I think as an individual when you grow up like you actually learn that like it's nobody else's job to do that for you like it's your job to love yourself and then track like loving people into your life and uh but being 17 like I had no idea and usually hopefully you get enough stability where you get those foundational tools to like know how to do that and know how to vet through relationships and have more discernment with like who you're letting into your life because that impacts you so much. Um, But yeah, it's the depression and just kind of the mental state that I was in. It's hard to describe unless somebody's felt it, but the people that have felt it, they'll know exactly what I'm talking about. But if you've never been in that state, it's a little bit hard to even conceptualize like why would somebody feel like that? Yeah, I can. That's why I've had discussions with, people that have attempted suicide or even uh, just thinking about it but I've never been able to exactly put myself in your shoes because I've I've never felt that um like I find life so beautiful I couldn't even contemplate like even thinking of it but I mean it's a reality grant like how can you look up how many people like what the suicide rates were this year um I actually think I saw an article that suicide rates dropped from uh, 19 to 20 with COVID. 
Which, really? Yeah, which a lot of people are talking about higher suicide rates. And I think That's what in, I would certain, have anticipated, yeah. in certain groups it was true. But overall, it's the same idea when you look at like 9-11 and traumatic events. When there's something that everyone feels like they they're dealing together with together. At once, yeah. Yeah, you, you actually, like suicide rates go down. Like they did drastically after 9-11 because everyone, like, oh, there's a common enemy. Like we need to all Bond stand together. together. And coronavirus kind of did that. Um, so I wonder if it, I mean, that's a good point. Cause I wonder if it has to do with like a feeling of, you know, disconnection then because. So go back to that real quick, right? Um, so suicide rate has increased 25.4% from 1999 to 2016. Right. Uh, so, I mean, it's going up. That's why I just wanted to bring up a stat for the, the reality of suicide. Um, I believe it's the. Tenth cause, uh, leading cause of death in the United States. Grant, if you could look up maybe the the different leading causes, but um, it's it's a reality. So when I say I can't directly connect to it, just with the way my brain operates, like you said, if you're out there and have felt what you felt, then you can uh, absorb what no, you're saying no. and actually know. And I think it brings up an important point too of whether you're a young man or young woman. Um, just trying to realize that th those things are short term. So even though it feels like the world's ending and everything's caving in, you can't go to anybody. It's still short term. But even with that being said, when one day turns into three, turns into seven, turns right. into two weeks, like you were describing, you get lost in like who wants to maintain or be in that state for so long. It's well, you just you're running out of energy, and then you, you don't know how to deal with it. State. Yeah, so. I think looking back now, um, I mean, it's it's easier to see that, yes, there could have been light at the end of the tunnel with certain changes. But something I do want to note, too, is like it gets better with like each, you know, layer that you start to address and like you just pick one, you know, like I'm just going to focus on this or I'm just going to, you know, start moving my body and exercising or getting outside or, you know, trying to introduce a new habit. But when you... I don't know, like when you've experienced like whatever it is that you've experienced, it almost doesn't matter what it is. It's like how you perceive it. So sure. like two people could experience the same thing and one seems completely traumatized by it and the other is like, oh, no big, no big deal. Um, so it's not about like what exactly happened. It's about like your interpretation of it. So whatever I was like going through at that time, I felt like it was like the most painful thing that I had been through. So my vision really did start to like close up it was like I really couldn't see anything beyond like just the moment by moment that was like unfolding in front of me and then I had this belief that like it's going to continue to feel like this because I've tried to make these like changes here or there distract myself or keep busy and like nothing is is shifting me one way or another it's just like this is like repetitive cycle, yeah. cycle of feeling just like shit and not being able to like move beyond this relationship or, you know, move beyond these friendships and whatnot. So. God, and it's such a scary fact to 25% since 1999. Like I would love to believe that we're progressing and becoming healthier as a country and as a people and as a community. And we might that stat be eventually though. Cause I wonder what it would be like, you know, 2000, when did we start getting, Instagram and like business started being used in Instagram. Um, uh, so, I mean, social media would have really started taking off like 09, 
2011. Okay. So like right there at the turn of the decade. And well, and I know that that can be used, it can make some situations worse with mental health. And again, I was off of social media for a long time just because I just needed to like figure my shit out. Um, and this was after like being in college and whatnot. So, but back to the point of like, is it getting worse? I hope not because people are talking about these things more. They call us like the therapy generation and that we have a little bit less stigma. I mean, some people might have like a ton of stigma with this mental health stuff still. And to me, I'm like, well, I've been in therapy since 2011. Like I'm not as phased by it anymore. It's like a norm to me. I look at therapists as just like an extended life coach. Um, We could all benefit from them at some point in our lives. And I think the more that we talk about these things, exactly like this conversation right now, this is what kind of, brings down the stigma on it so that people have room to start to examine these things so what I like did with the book like that was my own like self-examination process and kind of working it through but you know maybe somebody doesn't want to take four years to write a book they can just start having these conversations or maybe expressing it in some other way or just like start to move it out of their body and like normalize that people do feel this way um it's okay if you do there's others like don't take action on these thoughts like they can be redirected and reframed in a healthier way and we can start introducing new habits and new relationships that are going to relieve some of this like psychic pain or heart pain that you're feeling all the time so i do believe we're we're headed in a better direction but sometimes it is messier before you get better kind of thing i think so too and i think we're dealing with unprecedented like consequences of social media and um, things even outside of that, where that 25 percentage of increase in suicide is scary. But I I think we're going in the right direction too. And what you just brought up is we talked about it briefly, like normalizing the human condition. Yeah. So the fact that there's such a variance like amongst humans and our stories and not only biologically, like how we're kind of programmed to deal with issues, but then like our nurture part of it too, like whether it was a broken, yeah, the environment and whatnot. Um, this all has an effect on how we're going to deal with relationships and problems and challenges in the future. And just normalizing the fact that no one's like perfect. So that vision I had growing up, like, wait, like, why is when I go over to their house, like everything seems great. Like everything's fine. Like, why can't my household be like that? No one's household is perfect. Like that is just this Hollywood kind of fairy tale. And you, of course you try to build the best life with your partner and raise beautiful children. And like, they're kind hearted, like good on the outside and inside. But the fact is like, no one's perfect. Everyone has their struggles. And like what you and I are doing right now, I think is kind of therapeutic just to talk it, like talk about it and not hide behind screens. And when you are in high school, when you're a young person, you really need the like parental coaching and good friends and people to turn to, to you still the deal. Parameters. Yeah. Like, you whoop, need not over there. Oh, okay. We're going to steer you back over here. Yeah. Cause you need to be able to figure out these things and talk to someone and not just get caught, caught in that world when like you did to where it seems never ending. And then someone ends up taking their life. Yeah. Um, Cause that's so tragic. It's, it's something that's short term and you would hope that through developing like healthy habits and talking things through and, just creating like a balance and a system that works for you that those thoughts are going to go away. And then you'll look back on it like you are now and be like, I can understand why I felt that way. And for 
someone like connecting to your story, just know that you in 10 years, you could look back and be like, I'm stronger because of it. I can maybe help someone else uh, get through it because I've actually been there. And um, I think just normalizing that. Yeah. Everyone's a little fucked up, you know, <laughs> Every, everyone's a little fucked Everyone up. Everyone has their shit. Yeah. Yeah. And I, what I want to say to that too is like there, even what you were saying about like, you know, start to balance your life and maybe, you know, have your partner, have your kids or don't like mm-hmm. the, the beauty is finding out like once you start to untangle and just start to take off like all the layers and the shit and you, you know, you start to examine it and start to have some like forgiveness for yourself and for the people that you, um, that, that maybe have felt hurt by or the people that you've hurt. Um, it, it gives you again, that space and that room to then start to be like, who am I? What do I like? And you know, when I'm not identifying with this group of people or this activity or this partnership, like who, who am I and what do I want? What makes me happy? What brings me fulfillment? Do I want to go and grind? Like and work a 60 to 80 hour job. And that's what makes me feel invigorated and alive and excited. So that's what I'm going to go after. Or am I somebody that, you know, wants to kind of kick back and, and have a more integrated and kind of like perfect piece of the pie, like all slices are equal and, that I create, you know, a little bit of time for work and a little bit of time for friends and nature and spirituality or, you know, belief systems. And um, it's just, it's up to you. And I think when you start to answer those questions for yourself, like, and truly get to know those answers, that's the way that we can like then contribute our like share on the human condition and our perspective on it and to help other people just be like, you're going to be fine, but you do have to figure out what you specifically as an individual want and like what that looks like to you to feel in balance. Mm -hmm. So how do we communicate that to a young lady like yourself back when you're 16, 17, 18? Because I mean, we're able to be a little bit more clear headed about it now as young adults and some days. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Um, I would say to, first of all, validate all those feelings because that was another thing. Like this is first time, like I'm talking in this kind of setting about this stuff. Like I, up until like two years ago, didn't even share with most people that like that had happened. So I don't know what people knew of high school. I didn't know if they knew about the suicide attempt. I don't know if they knew about the DUI. I wasn't sharing that with people. There were some like girls in my immediate group, like four of us, um, that they knew the extent of that, but I don't know if that was the group at large or who else knew. Uh, but anyway, so back to your question on, you know, how do we normalize this for, for the, or how do we give like some direction or steer the, the younger person validate their feelings first, like whatever they're going through, like, even if they're not able to articulate it or whatnot, like it's okay that you're feeling like that but redirect those emotions because emotions can actually be really useful. Like if you're feeling anger, you can channel that into some pretty productive things. I mean, it's not a sustainable fuel for the rest of your life. Like you don't want to always be working off of anger, but it's pretty productive energy if you want to channel that into working out or channel that into like really getting down on a business endeavor or something like that. Um, And then if you're feeling sad and you're grieving, art is really a beautiful way to transmute that and to just kind of sit with it and express it and kind of let it move through you. So I would focus on like using the emotions rather than avoiding them or denying them and 
working it through with yourself rather than looking to people outside of you and thinking, you know, the perfect friend is going to come and help heal you or the perfect mentor or boss or partner or family, like your brother is going to say something that just, you know, heals you. It's like, no, it's your job. So whatever you've been through, like you have to figure out what works for you and it's okay, but like you need to use those emotions. So don't drive yourself into like self-sabotaging behavior. Don't take it out on others use what you're working like what you're feeling and like work with it yeah, yeah absolutely did you ever use like fitness and exercise to not cope? until after college i feel uh-huh. like i was on a grind throughout college so not only <laughs> i didn't have a car for a year and a half um i lost my license so i was like trying to figure out like jobs and like working still and then i had like a full schedule of the four years that i was in college so i was just really really busy and i remember telling myself that as soon as college was done that I would work in the the workout stuff because I'd never been like a super athletic person and I did and I signed up for a half marathon and then figured out how to like run and work that into the schedule and actually came to like it um so yeah I figured out a way that works for me and I'm not super intense about it still I just find now like what do I enjoy doing that I can do consistently so I'm not dreading working out three or four times a week Mm -hmm. I, I always advocate for exercise because not only has it helped me and my anxiety or just feeling better, because I think there's something there that's missing, whether you're desk bound all day or whether you have such a busy load in college or in high school and you're just not getting the activity that you need. Sometimes you can exhaust yourself. It's like not like complete exhaustion, like a healthy exhaustion to where you just have less time or you you're less prone to be anxious and you're able to sleep better at night and you get yourself into this cycle of, I think us as like, these biological creatures need to have that output of exercise and getting your like heart pumping and your 100%. lungs, like it makes you feel so much better. And the problems get a little bit smaller when like after a workout, I know personally it's like, if I'm going to miss a workout for a day where I knew I was supposed to, or I wanted to, I just, couldn't get to it like dang like I really wanted to do that because I know the natural endorphins that you feel and how like post-workout it's such a good thing for not just you physically but mentally, mentally. And you can get in this cycle of it's not just about losing weight and looking good it's literally something that your brain needs and it it thrives in I'm a huge advocate I, I just say body movement because I don't when you're in like a mentally precarious state anything feels like stressful, anything feels like overwhelming, anything feels like I just can't even add that to my plate right now. So it's like, even if you're just getting outside to walk, that's moving your body. That's enough. That's a great place to start. Like Mm -hmm. just start there. So don't overwhelm yourself with like, okay, now I need to add like an exercise routine and whatnot. Um, And to kind of circle back just even on like mental health as a whole, like after that had happened, like I really thought something was like wrong with me too. Like I, I had this like mental stigma of like, holy shit, I'm broken. I just did this thing that I am so ashamed of that I hope nobody ever finds out and I'm going to hide from the world and like just like coop away. Um, And it was definitely a journey of like unpacking that and working with different people. But to come to the realization, I don't really believe in mental health diagnoses. I believe that these are like actual trauma responses and it's you reacting to like a chaotic environment and that you can heal and you can stabilize and you can find that balance again that you don't always like because even when you were saying like oh it's a short-term thing kind of like sometimes people can have like depressive episodes though that are cyclical that they'll come every year and that can be a scary feeling because you're like is this ever going to end I'm always going to like have this hit again 
Uh, and I just, I don't think that that's true. I think it is possible to start to like move towards a more holistic um, and stabilized and like healed place. So when you're talking about like a cyclical triggering point, is that something though that you just know a certain date's coming up, therefore you start bringing on like anxiety and certain chemicals that are going to No, but certain it? people will mirror experiences that you haven't healed yet. So like even after, you know, getting away from an environment where I was heavily drinking with the friends I was surrounding myself with and trying to kind of like distance myself more and more. And even though I w had left that relationship, um, I would still find similar dynamics in other people until I like really mm. did start to heal again, those like patterns that keep you stuck in those ways. So I, I mean, we don't have time to like expand on that, but that is something I just don't want to like sweep over like, Oh, like it's just the short term thing that you, that you just tell yourself like this is temporary and this too shall pass and you're going to be fine. It's like, no, not necessarily. Like if you have trauma that you haven't dealt with and unresolved pain, you will continually attract people that are going to mirror this back to you and that you're going to feel like it's this behavior that like you can't escape until you look at it and like shift your awareness and be like, okay, I can't engage with that or I need to like work on this more. I totally agree. So <clears throat> the short term portion of it needs to be coupled with actually doing something. It can't, like you said, you can't just tell yourself, like, oh, this isn't a blow over. Like, brush it under the rug. No, you have to take action. <laughs> no, yeah, you, you've you got to couple it with tell yourself if you're in that mind, like, state of potentially taking your life that this can be short term if I do something about it. So yeah. not that it is short term because you got to you got to do something about it. But when you said, um, like, you don't necessarily believe in health or mental, uh, health, mental health diagnoses, um, so do you mean like all the people jumping on the bandwagon per se in recent times where it's like, oh, I have mental health issues in terms of like depression? Yeah, and that's going to be kind of an unpopular opinion because people are like, oh, well, don't, you know. Don't tell me like, how I feel. Yeah, or like I can say, trust me, I used to have like dreams where I would like have somebody come and tell me that like something was really wrong with my brain and it being like a relief because it would be like, it would just have so many things easily make sense instead of me actually having to go through and take responsibility for like my part and stuff. And trust me, like there, and there was like an organization process too, because there was parts of my story that I had no control over. Like I had no control over what my parents were doing and what happened in our home environment and not being able to escape it. Like I could not afford to go and move out and escape that kind of chaos and all the shit that was going on there. Um, but on top of it, my response to it of me adding in like this shit relationship and then these like kind of, you know, friends that were not on the best path or maybe not the best influences. And again, I wasn't probably a great influence to them either. It's like those were my choices that I had to take responsibility for and really own that in order to change it. Whereas the path that would have been easier would have just been to be like, you know what? I'm depressed. I don't know. I can't do anything and I can't finish this and I can't figure it out. And I'm just always going to date assholes or I'm always going to feel like this. So or just take like a uh, pill to cover. Yeah. The problems. I was, you know, prescribed different stuff at different times and I didn't take it because I'm like, they haven't even asked me about like, who, what is my life like? Like, what are the relationships like in my life? How much am I using substances? Like, it's just the model is broken right now and therapy is great again to a certain extent but there is a point where you have to take responsibility for your life if you want it to change like 
at some point, yes, you may have been a victim and like could not have prevented what happened to you. And there are way worse things that people have been through um, that are very, very traumatic. And I don't want to dismiss that. But there comes a point or and not but, but and there comes a point where do you want to stay in that identity or do you want to move forward? And if you want to move forward, you have to figure out who you are without this like oh, I'm a depressed person or I'm an anxious person. So that's why I do this. And that's why I just drink all the time or I fuck things up or whatever. And it's like, all right, if that well, works for you. But it's not a very productive mindset. So no. even even though you were saying like it might be unpopular or some people are going to be a little bit triggered by like, how dare she say that? I don't really see it that way because I think there's levels to it. Like if you're schizophrenic, you could diagnose that. Like that's a severe mental condition. But even that, so there... I'm not an expert in this, so don't quote me on all this, but I studied psych in my undergrad and I've read a ton of books from people that are way more wise on these subjects and know like deeper knowledge um, in their fields and have, you know, gone on to get doctorates and whatnot and then given us the gift of their books um, in kind of like research form. Mm -hmm. And I think the identity splitting that like happens with schizophrenia is literally a creative response that your brain comes up with to deal with the chaos again that's whatever they're dealing with so if somebody was like assaulted sexually or whatnot it's like they literally have to do something called like disassociation where they like leave and disconnect like their mind from their body to be able to even cope with what the fuck is going on in their environment so again i'm not an expert on that but it is of my personal belief that even to the degree of like schizophrenia like you look at those people if you do the back history on all of them they all have like a traumatic past and they're Mm. like, oh, well, it's hereditary. And it's like, because patterns get passed down in families. If you don't, like if you're exposed to certain modeling growing up in certain conditioning, you're getting those programs downloaded as you're growing up in the world. Like you just think whatever your family does is normal. Whatever your peers do is normal. Whatever your teachers and bosses do is normal. Those are really just programs. It's all going to be what you were exposed to. So if you had a schizophrenic parent or a depressed parent and then you're like, yeah, well, it just runs in my family, like depression. And it's like, no, what runs in your family is that you saw a modeling of somebody just wilting again and again and self-sabotaging again and again and not knowing how to and potentially not having the tools or the awareness that there was another option or that they could pull themselves out and I have a lot of grace you know for our parents generation you know that did kind of have and struggle with these things because they didn't have access to the same information we do but we do have the tools and the information now so we like we owe it to ourselves to bring like the next generations following us further because we don't we don't have the excuse of like not knowing that there's other options there are other options mm. and like you can heal little baby steps at a time so i agree because i i think the nurture part of it is so big too like developing those patterns and sometimes having genes like turned on that might lead you to be schizophrenic but i do think there's research that also supports like there's actually Uh, like genes that you're born with too that's like it's consistent in a bloodline let's say so even though there's still like so then there's gene expression and there's like the whole study of epigenetics which basically says that like whether you have those genes or not your environment can like turn them on or off and certain lifestyle habits too. that's interesting though because i've never like maybe there is a moment where you can help that person before they become schizophrenic and and i was gonna say that too i want if your brain's going through that because there are changes sense, that happen. If you're yeah. going to live, if, if, if you're an organism that's going to continue on like as a human and you ha- you're dealing with all this stuff, 
and then your brain literally is like trying to formulate a solution for you to be okay. So you just check out and now you're just some person on the street right? doing drugs or twirling. And that was what I was going to say. I don't know if there's some magic threshold or if it's uh, individually based that once you're past a certain point, potentially you can't heal. I don't, again, I don't believe that, but I don't know. I haven't met everybody and I don't work in this, like in the field. So I haven't seen people in the most extreme cases. Mm -hmm. I just know for a lot of us in that kind of messy middle, there are tools available if you want it and go at your own pace though. It's not like this is the race, but stability and like mental wellness is possible, but you do have to do the work. It's a lot of heavy lifting but there's a lot of joy on the other side of it. And there's just a lot of peace that comes from it too. That's amazing. Cause you feel that now after going through. I do. I feel like there's still some layers like I'm working through and there's balance to be found always. And I don't think the journey ever like for self development and kind of self-awareness like ever really stops. But yes, I feel like I'm at a stable point where I don't believe there's anything broken or wrong with me anymore. Whereas I, I really believed that for a long time. I like wasn't sure. Like, am I crazy? Fuck. <laughs> <laughs> well, no, that's amazing because I really admire that advice, which you said a couple uh, minutes ago, to where like taking accountability and not just masking it with a pill or being like, oh, I, I do all these things or I have all these outcomes in my life because I'm this crazy person or because it's out of my control. Because right. there is science and it's factual that you can rewire yes. your brain. Like you can, you can develop patterns yep. that get you into a healthy cycle. Yep. And when, let's say you're looking at two individuals that are, j- just to break it down into like an equation, or like a seven out of 10 uh, depressed. Um, one of them chooses to go down the path like you did to not take drugs to solve your problems, but to kind of like, develop patterns that you have control over and do all this reflection and communicate and you're solving your problems in that manner. And then the other person just kind of puts a bandaid, takes a pill. You might have similar outcomes and like, let's say both these people now feel okay, but how much more did that person get out of the arguably the harder path, the more challenging path and dealing with things naturally in quotes um, and rather than just taking a pill like you kind of, you could see it's very logical. Like the person that took things head on and worked on them naturally and developed healthy habits, you're going to have those now for the rest of your life. Right. So you're not relying on this little pill to fix some neurotransmitters in your head to give you some dopamine like consistently. It's or like solved it the, on your own. the therapist model too, which I don't want to like poo-poo on any of that. Like, I also believe medication can be temporarily very helpful for people in acute stressful situations. So people that are literally going through panic attacks or, you know, cannot sleep, they have insomnia. So there's, but I wish that that was just given and prescribed in a way of saying, look, let's get you through this really difficult period. And then let's figure out how to, what we're going to tackle first when you feel ready so that we can start weaning you off of this so this isn't a long-term solution. So I just want to say that piece. I and agree. then secondly, um, to the, you know, building the you know holistic habits, if you will, um, I you, you do want to learn how to do that yourself. And there's going to be a certain amount of 
benefit you're going to get from that therapeutic model because you can start to you know excavate some of those like really emotionally charged memories and events in a safe space with another human so it's not just you on a page or you with your art but you need to cultivate that too because you don't want to have to be seeing them for the rest of your life and it's also a very expensive and model that is not accessible to everybody because of the the way it's set up like financially and then even when um I was like going through, you know, school and work and still trying to go to therapy. It was also just like inconvenient. It was like one hour a week where I'd feel like I'd have to go in the middle of the day and make sure like my schedule matched up with a therapist schedule. And it's like, how are you supposed to be vulnerable and unwind like these heavy emotions where I'm like bawling and then go back to work? Like it just, (laughs) it didn't really make sense. So there, and there are new tools again that are becoming available through technology and just people innovating in like their own ways of like seeing frameworks that worked for them Um, that can be really helpful. So therapy can be useful. Medication can be useful with a lot of care and information. Um, But eventually you're going to have to like, you got to figure it out yourself. Like, don't you, like we should want to, so we can become self-sufficient in those ways. And we're not dependent on another person or a pill or, you know, whatever to feel good all the time. We should, we should learn how to cultivate that ourselves. No, I agree. That's amazing. Cause I admire you too for the book was a tool that helped you get through your pain. Yes. And like that coworker, I believe you said that commended you for being a good writer. You have you have like these personal stories and testimonies coupled with your skills for writing and now you were able to put it together into this productive piece of art that's not only productive for you internally but now people are going to be able to interface with it and I hope like find strength or just kind of like learn from your mistakes and your challenges and your testimony and also just be entertained and read this amazing story, which you was that you compared it to kind of like a euphoria vibe. There's, there's the (laughs) The, beginning, you have the first section and then the second section. Yeah. There's Um, three parts in it. Um, so if nothing else that like, if someone were to take away, you know, maybe some slight entertainment, maybe they find themselves in some of the characters and have a deeper understanding or an insight of the human condition that they hadn't, you know, been able to put in words before, or at the very least, just to like, for me to be able to embody the fact that, yes, we always have the option to self-sabotage when we're in pain or avoid the pain or take it out on others, but if not, like, or we can do something productive with these emotions. Like that would be my bottom takeaway of like, if somebody just realized that and didn't even read it, but they just saw that it existed and that this was something I chose to intentionally do with all of that pain, then I'm like, I feel like I've done my job there because that's definitely what the message is, is like, don't sit with all that shit. Like it's there, like the energy of the emotions is real, it's there. So do something with it, like move it out of your body and it's possible to do it in a productive way that you're not creating you know, more chaos in your life or dumping it onto other people. I agree. Well said, that was beautiful. Thank you. So when uh, when will the book be available? It's uh, So September is the published date. Awesome. So coming very, it's a fall. Very cool. Um, well, I'll link it in the description because you have a landing page right now where people can Yeah, so people can sign, sign up, up. Um, just to be notified when it becomes available for, okay. for purchase. So and it'll give a little bit more of a synopsis. I know we've kind of zigzagged through a lot of it today. Yeah, no, I, I think uh, people are going to get a good understanding of what 
the little uh, nuggets are throughout it. And we touched on some interesting stuff today. And like you just said at the end, channeling that pain and using it in a productive way and knowing that there's tools at your disposal now to help you get through that. And people are going to, they're going to connect to it. So like you said, the characters, whether it's just being entertained or um, actually benefiting their life, like very wholesomely, it's a, I, I, so. I, I can't wait to read it. I'm excited. Thank you. Thank you for coming on. Yeah. Thank you so much for having me and for being just a, a safe space to be able to talk about this. Yeah, it was fun. I think a lot of people are going to hopefully be entertained and get some help. Thank you, so, Zach. Yeah, yeah, of course. Appreciate it. All right, you guys. With that being said, talking goes a long way and we'll catch you next time.